Hello and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. I'm Aaron and Brie is busy with other things today, but I am luckily joined by Thule author Lisa Lynn. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you. Hey y'all, Aaron. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad and I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. Do you want to get in some icebreakers with me? Let's do it. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? Excess snark and sarcasm. You want to get to know me, like, 60% of the time I'm being sarcastic and you, you shouldn't take me seriously. You know, I have thought of how I would answer this question myself. And, and yeah, it was something to the degree of is likely being sarcastic. And it can get me in trouble with people who don't know me that well and think I'm being serious. Oh, okay, we need to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. That was, that was just me, me being ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We need to get to know each other better. Okay. Yeah. We're not there yet. Gotcha. We're not there yet. Yes. My spouse and I had to explain sarcasm to our children very young because uh, we speak it pretty much regularly to one another. And, and uh, you know, we, we have times where we have a four-year-old, why are you two fighting? It's like, oh, oh, we're not, we're not fighting. We're, we're just being silly. <laughs> And it can sound and I and it can sound mean if you don't understand that I don't mean what I'm saying. Well, what is one of your guiltless pleasures? I do love a good manny and petty. But the thing is, like then I get so prissy about my nails and then I'm useless the rest of the day because I don't want to ruin my manny. It's ridiculous. I don't think you're alone in that one. I think no. a lot of people appreciate a good manny petty. Yeah. I mean, like, it's in the hot water, they scrub and make it all nice and pretty and soft, and then they give you, like, a foot rub, and, like, the place I go to gives you, like, a hot stone, like, massage too. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just get to feel pampered for a while. Exactly. <laughs> Can you name us one of your favorite childhood books? One of my favorite childhood books? I loved The Babysitter's Club when I was growing up. I read yeah. those. I, like, do you remember the Scholastic Book Fairs? The, the, oh, um, oh yeah yeah or just like that that little like newspaper order form thing that would, that would yes class every month yeah <laughs> i like every year with the book fair i would always get like the babysitter's club books then when i was like a teenager then i transitioned to the sweet valley high books but it was a babysitter's club for me <laughs> i wish one of our founders sarah was here because she has almost that exact same story babysitter's club sweet valley high like those are just foundations for her reading so would be but you'll have to like, come back and we have sarah on you guys can just uh can just take over the whole show <laughs> <laughs> but like i just have to do like a side note on the sweet valley high books like have you seen them have you seen them have you seen them with the original covers i have not no those are not 16 year olds those are 30 year olds on those covers <laughs> i okay, i need to talk to sarah about that please please <laughs> yeah that's the uh the 90210 model right precisely i believe year old gabrielle, high schoolers yes <laughs> i believe i believe gabrielle carteris was like almost 30 when she was in the show uh-huh and i remember like i think they said stocker channing was like in her 30s when she was playing rizzo in greece yeah so yeah it's like a but, thing well, can you tell us your romance origin story i was about 12 or 13 i've loved books ever since i was little i've said it before and i'll say it again one of the best things my parents ever did for me was take my sister and I to the library like regularly as a kid and we both learned to love reading it was fun it was a hobby it wasn't 
something that we're cramming down our throats, like eating our vegetables. Mm-hmm. Like we learned to love reading. Like I would be at Borders, or I would be at Barnes and Nobles, like or my local bookstore. I would be walking around the shelves and checking things out. And then I was walking by the romance section and I'm like, who is this Nora Roberts chick who's taking up like half the section, romance section. So I'm like, I pick one up. And then it was one of her McGregor books uh, yeah. from her silhouettes. Uh huh. And so I'm like, a matchmaking meddling grandfather. I'm intrigued. I read it and I loved it. There was so much to it. Like there was like, family and there was like friendships and like there was there was humor there were funny books too and i haven't looked back since i've been a fan ever since so if you're gonna introduce yourself to a new to you genre might as well go one with one of the best right why not go with lenora yeah yeah and listeners don't sleep on nora's old silhouettes i know she writes a great tome but some of her older category books are still amazing reads yes and harlequin or whoever has it they constantly repackage them so you can definitely find them and sometimes like it really upsets the fans because they think it's like something new and then it's like oh, oh it's just harlequin repackaging her old stuff i already got these books i'm always very excited when I'm, i hit a library sale and i find some uh, old nora roberts categories in the mix there mm-hmm. it's always always a treat yes but the head hopping though aaron <laughs> <laughs> whose perspective am i reading from right now <laughs> <laughs> and then a paragraph later it's somebody different and then like, uh-huh. maybe a line later, it could be a third person. It became problematic when I started to write because I absorbed a lot of that through osmosis. Oh, so uh-huh. I to beat that habit out of me. It was bad. <laughs> all love and all respect for our queen. But that was that was something I had to train myself not to do anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, it goes to show you that everyone keeps learning no matter who you are. For sure. But, like, I totally second your recommendation. Check out her old silhouette category stuff. There's some real gems in there. Well, I have to congratulate you on the release of The Year of Cecily, which comes out January 17th, 2023. Please tell us what inspired this story. Less than a week to go. Ah! The story was originally a novella that was going to be part of um, a holiday anthology that was going to be a non-Christmas anthology. So that's why it ended up being a Lunar New Year's story. The anthology didn't end up happening, but my brilliant and wonderful agent and I sat down and she said, why not take that novella, rip it apart and redo it as a full length? So that was the inspiration. That's kind of how it all started. And that is why the book has some of the tropes it does. Because when I started this novella, one of the pieces of advice I got was pick a trope, Second chances, reading other lovers, friends to lovers. Because with a novella, you're just really constrained in word count and time and space. So picking one of those tropes where they know each other and have a past, like does a lot of that left heavy lifting for you, mm-hmm. and and helps helps the reader like makes it easier for the reader to go along. That like it's such a short story, they're gonna fall in love and it's gonna be all happy and glitter and cupcakes and unicorns. And I think that was a really great piece of advice, and I think it worked really well. Yes, I would have to agree. I found the Lunar New Year part really quaint, you know, reading along with it. And it's like, oh, Lunar New Year. Okay, this is different. This is a nice change of pace, but it still had that sort of holiday feel to it. Oh, I'm glad. And honestly, for my family growing up, that was the big holiday for us. My family and I weren't really into like Thanksgiving and Christmas. Like Lunar New Year was like our 
holiday. That was the holiday where my parents would go all out and break out like all the best stuff. We would just have a day off on Thanksgiving or Christmas. But New Year's was, that was our holiday. I'm glad that that came across. Like it was, it's a holiday. For those not in the know, what are some fun Lunar New Year traditions that your family had? Definitely just having the family together with like a table full of food. My family also does the red envelope. There was that line in the book, like and it came from real life. Like there was this one new year in like 15 minutes, I made 200 bucks because there's just so many family and other friends, adults there and all those $20 red envelopes add up. And I was like, I have $200. Not a bad day. <laughs> Not at all. And my family and I, we don't observe like all, every one of them, because obviously each family is kind of unique in their traditions and not, we don't all follow all of them. But, you know, my parents were like really cognizant of the ones that like, we really want to do, don't want to do anything that would bring bad luck. Like we want to like encourage all the fortune and prosperity and all that sort of stuff. Like a new outfit, you know, making sure the house is clean and get rid of all the bad energy from the past year, like stuff like that. Firecrackers and dragon dances and things like that. It's really a time for everyone to come together and celebrate and eat a whole ton of food. (laughs) Well, this question just came to me, so forgive me, but... Okay. Speaking of the new year and renewal and everything, this story starts out with Cecily creating a list of things that that are going to make this next year really great mm-hmm. and from some readers perspectives Cecily's got got a great life she's got a lot of stuff already figured out she's got a great job uh, she's got a loving family where did the idea come from that she needed to make things better the way I approach it was like yes she she has her life pretty much figured out but she is an attorney in a big major law firm in a major city they're going to be work-life balance issues so that like you said for some people might think she has it all but does she really does she have that work-life balance like is she living her best life when she's spending like 60 70 hours a week at at the office or working and for a lot of people especially in asian cultures especially for push our parents like we're really focused on our goals and like achievement oriented and is that really the stuff that makes you happy like Mm -hmm. what is it that she actually Figure out what what is it that's making her happy? Is she doing what she's doing because she wants to? Or is it because she feels like that's the path that's been laid out for her? Is it what, you know, is it what she, it's like, what is really going to make her happy and fulfilled and living her best life? Well, our main characters, Cecily and Jeffrey, have complicated relationships with their parents. It's Mm -hmm. clear that their parents love them. Uh, But for uh, this reader, who is a parent, (laughs) it was a bit heartbreaking for me to read some of the ways that their parents interacted with them. Can you talk a little about the parental dynamic of this book and what you want readers to take away from it? Heartbreaking? I'm not doing my job. (laughs) Because this book is not supposed to, like, break your heart. I might have gone a little too strong on saying heartbreaking, but there were some times where there was a moment where Jeffrey's parents gave him $200 and said, it's for, you could save it to go back to medical school. And <laughs> it's just like, how could, how could you say that to him? <laughs> Welcome to Asian parenting, Aaron. <laughs> no, like, again, see, that was me being snarky, people. You're picking that up? No, um. In all seriousness, it, it can be hard, especially because Jeffrey and Cecily were just born and raised in the U.S. So they absorbed a lot of their of that culture and that sort of upraising. But their parents are still very traditional. And to them, like their mentality is, we love you, obviously. 
We want what's best for you. And we think this is the best path for you. So just listen to us and do this. Like it's for your own good. Just trust us. And sometimes it's hard for both sides for them to navigate that gap and come to an understanding. Like, I know you mean well, but this isn't what's going to make me happy. It's not about hurting you. Like I'm not rejecting you or, or anything. It's just, it's just like what I need and what I want is different. And it's about communicating better because like, I like you read in the book, like sometimes like Cecily just like bottles all it in and it just comes out and, and her mother's like, why didn't you just say something earlier? <laughs> I'm not a monster. I would have understood that. And, and Cecily's like, are you kidding? <laughs> Would you? <laughs> <laughs> that relationship is a work in progress, Aaron. I think we all know that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. And, that's okay. We're all a work yes. in progress, aren't we? And I think all of us, like to some extent, with few exceptions, have like some areas with our relationships with our parents that are a bit tricky. Like, mm-hmm. I, think, I think all of us just have some sort of baggage when it comes to that sort of thing. And for me, part of it is also sometimes our actions and words can have... We can intend one thing, but it just can be interpreted in a completely different way from how we intend it. For a lot of Asian parents, it's like, we're pushing you because we believe in you. We know you can do great things. Now go do great things. Mm-hmm. And then and then sometimes it can be like received as, if I don't do these great things, I don't have your approval or things like that. And that's not what they mean. Have you ever read Courtney Milan's Turner Brothers series? Uh, no, I have not read that series. In the first book, the main character hero, Ash, comes back from India, I think abroad, and he left behind his two younger brothers, Mark and Smite. But he basically he went off to India to build his fortune and provide for the family, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. And throughout the years, all he's done is send a few letters and written by his man of business, and the few, and then he may just scrawl, "Love Ash, be well," all like that, and. Mark and Smite are like, seriously? You can't even be bothered to write this letter. Like, you have someone write it for you and just scrawl the signature. But you come to find out that, that that Ash is dyslexic, so he can't write. So when he writes those few words, mm-hmm. they come from the bottom of his heart and take so much effort. Yeah. You know, and time. So, you know, so that's the kind of thing, like, I was thinking about. Sometimes, like, you just feel like, especially when it comes to the people closest to you maybe our perspective of them can be a little skewed because we are so close and maybe we don't have a full understanding mm-hmm. and maybe it can it can be different from what you think it means right you know? right so like being so close to the the our, our loved ones almost mm-hmm. gives us a sense of overconfidence in who they and who we think they are and who we are to our family is is different than who we are when we're in at work who we are with our friends like there are we all contain multitudes. And sometimes, like, the, the, the one multitude we see may not be the full story, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and things change when, like, and in that book, like, once Smite and Mark figure it out, like, it is like a little turning point in their relationship and the brothers begin to heal and, you know, their relationship begins to heal. But it's not until they understand that. And I felt like in the book, Cecily also had to come an understanding of why her mother is so hard on her. It's not because she's criticizing for the sake of it. It's it's because she actually believes in her daughter so much. Yeah. And it just doesn't come out the way that Cecily necessarily needs it. But there it is. (laughs) 
thank you for for giving that. Sorry, I made you go on such a, a long explanation. No, of course not. <laughs> no, of course no. And and I also feel like it also be something that's just not in the Asian parents. Like I feel like it's also a lot in immigrant communities because mm-hmm. these parents are just so focused on on survival, building a life. Like they may not, you know, have the time or patience or understanding to attend to those things on the higher up on the hierarchy of needs. Yeah, you know, yeah. the, the self-actualization and the self-esteem. You know, uh-huh. they don't seem to be pro- lower on the priority list, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. That's more about establishing the, the foundation of uh, being in a, uh, setting country. down roots in a new country, new culture. Yeah. I also wrote that scene where she meets with the genealogist and Millie makes her think about those people, the giants whose shoulders she stands on, mm-hmm. those people who paved the road for her. And I think... Hopefully that also helps the reader and help. I think it helps her kind of just see things from a different and bigger perspective and kind of just changes things a little bit. It gives her the space to have a little more patience and grace and understanding for the insanity that is her family. That genealogy moment in there actually hit pretty close to home with me Mm -hmm. because my paternal grandmother is full Japanese and my paternal grandfather is born and raised in in Texas and New Mexico. <laughs> and so there was uh there was some contention about whether uh, that that marriage was uh accepted or not with, uh, when it came to her parents. Yeah. I mean <laughs> <laughs> I mean especially in the day and age we're talking about with your grandparents. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. There may, ha- there may have been some work to do, Aaron. There may have been just a little bit of work. For the great grandparents to come around. <laughs> yeah, there was some work to be done, but but they they both did come around. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, like I don't know, like some things are universal, and sometimes grandbabies have a t- have a habit of smoothing things out a lot. But thank you for sharing that with me. Wow, like you never know how how interesting people's backgrounds can be. You know, you never know. Like all these interesting stories, everyone has these stories. And that's why I love those shows, like Finding Your Roots and Who Do You Think You Are. I love those genealogy shows. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of the inspiration for that scene. Because oh, yeah, I yeah. love, like, I love when you find out, like, what? Uncle TJ was only born seven months after the wedding? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. but, he, but, but he also came in at, like, a robust nine pounds and 12 ounces? Grandma and Grandpa? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> what we picture of the morals for the time back then, right? And then and then what oh, we right. come to learn, Look, right? <laughs> like, all the celebrities are just shocked when they find out, like, Great Uncle Frank was, like, a big of had, like, another whole other family on the other side of town. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I love that. Like, and I don't... One of the things I never understood is people who talk about, like like you said, the morals back then and the values back then in the good old days. And I'm like, I guarantee you, there were some teenagers getting it on in the back of some Chevys at prom back in the day. Trust me. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> drugs, drugs and rock and roll is nothing new. They just get in trouble. <laughs> right. The girls who got in trouble just got sent off to, like, to grandma's for the summer or something until they had the baby. Like, it, just, it was just covered up. It doesn't mean it didn't happen, people. There mm-hmm. were shenanigans happening in the back of those Chevys. People have, have been people. Since since there have been people, <laughs> we've always acted this way. Exactly. Exactly. I'm glad you understand. Like, you're feeling me on this. 
Well, one thing that I really loved about this book was the relationship between Cecily and Rachel. These two had every opportunity to be enemies and stay enemies, but instead they became good friends. So can you tell us more about Cecily and Rachel's friendship? The comparison game, like when they talked about like how each of their parents talked to them about the other. Mm -hmm. I grew up that way. Like, do you think Lauren like talked back to her parents like you did? Like, look how hard she was. She listens to her her parents, not like you. The comparison (laughs) game is strong. It is strong. Like everyone else's kid is just better behaved than you. Everyone. It's, It's just the way it is. Like, she got, she made the honor roll. Why didn't you make the honor roll? I thought it would be fun instead of making them, like, continue to be nemesis. Like, I thought it would be like, why don't they just bond over their, their like, Asian parenting? You know? Mm-hmm. Like, when they're like, oh, my God. That's what happened? They did this to us? Oh, my God. And you will see more of their friendship develop in the second book. So, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, I, I can't wait. Well, our hero, Jeffrey, he has some internal struggles with feelings of inadequacy or not being worthy of others. This affects him in his career and his personal life. Can you tell us how you came up with this part of his character? The first thing is I I had to figure out a way to to figure out what happened that broke them up 10 years ago and why he did it. But have that reason be one that the reader's not going to hate him for and render him irredeemable in his eyes. So yeah. it had to be some something where he's thinking, I'm doing this for her own good, even though he's just being a stupid man about it, or mm-hmm. like you know, or something like that. And for him to say, the best thing I could possibly do is just make a run for it and like do a clean break. To me, that just is not the sign of someone who's like really confident in himself and knows what he wants in life and has his shit together. So to me, that's kind of like how his character developed, at least in my head. And also for me, for this to work, like he has to actually be sorry about what happened. Like there has to be genuine regret. Like he has to mean it. He has to be sorry and mean it. Mm -hmm. Like it just, yeah. So like it, so that's for me, that's what kind of makes sense why he's like a little unsure of his footing. Like it just would not, for me, it would not work if he just swaggered back into town and said, baby, I'm back. You know, like uh-huh. that's just not going to cut it. So for that whole thing to make sense, I just felt like it had to be him. He, he was just in the bad place, Aaron. He, he went mm-hmm. to the bad place. <laughs> so he had to go on a little journey of self-discovery. And, and it took him time to get himself together and figure it out. But he did. As a writer, I think all of us, all of us writers have have a little bit of insecurity because we put our work out in the world and then it's often to be judged and critiqued and eviscerated. So that's hard. It can be hard to put yourself out there like that and still have a good sense of who you are and some like self-confidence when you've been ripped apart. (laughs) So, so to me, like that's kind of how his character made sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hopefully it will make sense to you, made sense to you, and hopefully it will make sense to the readers. It did make sense to me, and I, I really I really liked his journey. Well, another favorite part, and it, it had me a bit groaning too, but laughing at the same time, is when <laughs> family was trying to set up Cecily with one of their hairdresser's sons, 
and, and it was just like so many so many steps removed of oh no but you should go out i think it was like her her ass neighbor hands hairdresser's neighbor's yeah, son or something right. like that has anyone ever tried to set you up on a blind date no but maybe i could have used some help because someone once told me like i went on a date and didn't know it but that's a different story for another time. <laughs> I, I've heard of those, yeah. <laughs> I did not realize. I didn't think it was. Maybe. I don't know. No, I haven't. And if my friends tried, like, and if it didn't go badly, like, that that could be hard to come back from. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you're not trying to set up your friends with your neighbor's hairdresser's nephew. <laughs> <laughs> no, I promise. No. I promise. I mean, maybe he's a I really promise. great guy, though. So <laughs> who knows? But I mean, that's that's a romance that story in itself, right? Like, I don't know if you've experienced that, but like the the grandmas, like sometimes, like they'll just like want to match make you. They're gonna they want you married off, and they're gonna do whatever they whatever they have to do to make it happen. Well, let's talk writing process for a sec here. When you sit down for a writing session, what are your must haves, and what is your process? Unfortunately, I am a pretty slow writer. And usually my goal is about like 500 to 1,000 words a day, 1,500 if I'm really lucky and having a really yeah. good day. Sometimes I think that helps because I think if I force myself to do one of those where like I sit for th- three hours and like cranked out 4,000 words, it would be a mess. <laughs> uh-huh. It was just so hopefully by taking my time, hopefully I write a little cleaner and it saves me a little little time on the back end when it comes to like revisions and edits. Yeah. That's what I'm telling myself at <laughs> least. One of the things that really helped me write, particularly Rachel's book, is there is this YouTube video from How the Music, and it's like the best of Mozart. And for somehow, like it would just help get me into the zone when like okay, it's time to write, and I would just pull that Mozart playlist off. It's time to write. Get those five thousand five hundred thousand words in. Sometimes. If I'm desperate, I will just send out a tweet. I need to write a thousand words, like somebody yell at me and make me write. Like that also helps. <laughs> <laughs> because now, like I'm accountable to the to Twitter, Aaron, uh-huh. you know, like I I gotta do it now. It's out. Oh, there. so you just put it out to Twitter? You it's know? not like you call your editor and, and be like, kick me in the butt. No, you just ask the strangers <laughs> on Twitter to do it for you. My Twitter. I, romance landia comes through like i will get tweets go right like miss bev even told me like tweeted back once like keep your butt in the chair i'm like yes ma'am like, when miss bev no tells you to keep writing you keep writing <laughs> you keep writing you keep writing like oh and sarah mclean has a system where she's like you just write 50 words and then another 50 and then you double it and you do that, and then you get 500 words. So sometimes she'll just tweet at me, 50 words, go. I'm like, if SMAC tells me to write 50 words, I got to write 50 mm-hmm. words. Yeah. That is my process. Like, just sometimes, like, I prefer it silent. Sometimes I need a playlist. It, it kind of depends on my mood. But whatever it takes to get those words down, like, that's the right way yeah, yeah. <laughs> for me. I've heard, um, I can't remember who said it. It was either Denise Wheatley or Pippa Roscoe said writing a book is a game of inches you just you'd fight for every single line you put on the page i love denise so much oh isn't she great she is the sweetest yes like i remember i was talking to someone who did nanowrimo Mm -hmm. and they were kind of like disappointed in themselves because 
they gave it, w- it was their first time ever doing NaNoWriMo oh, okay. yeah. and this was their first time doing writing at oh, all oh yeah and like but I also did tell her tell them do not send off your NaNoWriMo masterpiece off to any editors or agents on December 1st do not do that mm-hmm. uh, like okay can we do a side note is that actual thing because I also felt I honestly feel like that's an urban legend but apparently it is a thing people do do that just send off the nano masterpieces on December 1st. Well, so I I have, by some miracle, I, I don't know how I did it at this point. I have completed two manuscripts there. They, they probably will never, never see the light of day, but I was very proud of them when I finished them. So, <laughs> so as, you sh- as you should be. Like, a lot of people say they want to write. Very few do, and very few, like, finish. So go you. Well, thank you very much. But I could, yeah. I could definitely see someone, uh, someone sending off, sending it off right away because <laughs> you know that's that's your baby, and you fought tooth and nail for it. So <laughs> for every one of those fifty thousand yeah. words, baby. But unfortunately, they only got like ten thousand, and I'm like, that is a win. That is ten thousand words you didn't have yes. before. Mm-hmm. So don't beat yourself up. Like fifty thousand is kind of like a, a, you know, it's a. The point of nano isn't like to refight the 50,000 words. It's to establish the habit uh-huh. and develop the discipline to sit through those sessions when you don't feel like it and push through and write. And for me, and I don't know if it's for you, sometimes it could be a hard balance because sometimes you do need to give yourself a break and say, it's okay, the words aren't happening today. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to pick it up tomorrow. And there are some days where you just do need to pout, dig deep, summon that grit and discipline and just push through. Yeah. And sometimes it, 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 it just depends and you have to trust yourself and know the times when you need to push through and sometimes when you have to say, I'm calling it, I'm throwing in the towel for the day. Mm-hmm. And when you do, the point is you pick up and you get back on that horse the next day or the day after. But the point is you get back on that horse and fit, and, and keep going. Yeah. And that's the point. And I told her that is the point to keep going. It's not about 50,000 words. And you had 10,000 to work with you didn't have before. So that is a win. Exactly. You know? Yes. Yes, so congratulations to anyone that just participated in NaNoWriMo <laughs> or just has is trying to establish a writing habit. Like you're doing the work, so be proud of yourself. Exactly. Is there anything, Lisa, that you can tell us about the Rachel experiment that comes out in May 2023? Well, it is an opposites attract and a one night stand. Oh. So a book just... Well, it's not a spoiler. Like it's on the back. It's up for pre-order. So it's it's Luke. It's the guys Leslie had that awful like blind date with. <laughs> I felt for the guy Aaron. I'm like, you you know what? You were a good sport about this, and you're cute, and you're a nice guy. Like, let me find someone for you. You know, I, I felt a little bad for him too because it's just like, well, obviously Cecily's not going to be into this guy and this <laughs> this whole get back out there to break yourself out of whatever stupor. It's not going to work. <laughs> no, and then and he knew right away. So um, and there's so I'm like, you can cut this out if you think it's too much of a spoiler. But basically, what happens is she has a um, she's up for a promotion at her job, but to do that, she has to transfer to the San Francisco office. So that brings her back into the sphere with Cecily and Adrian and the squad. And she just ends up at this honky tonk and she meets Mr. GQ, Luke, like who gets her to drink, to, she drinks some tequila and somehow he convinces her to get right on the mechanical ball. The next thing they know, they're. He's the ball. Back at his place. The... 
actually does ride the mechanical bull. <laughs> and he is impressed because like she's looking at this and I'm like and she's like, okay, I maybe need to hunch down and have a lower and better center of gravity. And he's like, Are you trying to math your way out of this? And she's like, Math and science. <laughs> so, you know, and then they run into each other again and they decide like it's a prick quo quo. Like he is going to help her because he's such a people person. Like, everybody loves him. So, like, and whereas, like, she is the most awkward, she is an awkward turtle, as am I. So they come up with a deal. Like, he is going to help her with those social skills and networking and leadership skills and help her, like, make the, because she's on probation with this pr- promotion. Mm. So um, she's, he's going to help her land the promotion. And, he, and he's been thinking about opening his own practice and she is a financial analyst. So what she's going to do is help him do some research and run some projections and do some budgets uh-huh. and things like about how much, look at the mar- legal market, you know, how much it would cost, rent, and the whole thing. So like, but the only rule is they're going to be friends. Like we're going to, we're going to set the naked aside. It's platonic and a business thing. All clothes are staying on. Well, I'm going to take the bet that the clothes don't stay on. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a safe bet. (laughs) That sounds incredible. And I can't wait for the book to come out. I'm so excited about it. You only have a couple months Mm -hmm. left. It comes out in May. Well, getting into some roundouts. What is one book you wish you could read again for the first time? I would have to say Tessa Dears a Week to Be Wicked. It is one of those books that's just like really imprinted on me. <laughs> the enemies to lovers, like the crazy road trip to Scotland, the, <laughs> the Alpine Princess Assassin, you know, yeah. Sword Swallowing. Uh-huh. Oh, and Tessa Dare is a comedian. I just, I laugh so hard at <laughs> They're so funny. I, I love her books and I, so much and i owe her a great debt because she was one of the first people to tell me what i said i was just thinking about writing and like she's like go do it you should do it so if it wasn't for her i would have never done it so thank you tessa oh, big shout out to tessa dare we love tessa <laughs> what's a romance you've read within the past few years that reminded you of why you love the genre i mean like do i have to just pick one no no we make the rules and you can you can do whatever you want <laughs> I love Kennedy Ryan's Queen Move. Oh, I haven't read that one. Um, it's so good. You will never look at trampolines the same way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just like if you've read Tessa Dare's Three Nights with a Scoundrel, you will never look at a piano the same way again. Um, I love Kristen Callahan's Managed. I am a diehard fan of Gabriel Sunshine Scott. I don't know if you've read her VIP series. I haven't, no. Only Kristen Callahan could write a book about a series with rock stars and have one of the heroes just be the band's, like, the group's manager and still make it work. Uh, <laughs> Pick the most uh, <laughs> the most boring job title, it seems, you know, in a rock band. And <laughs> it makes it work. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I love J.C. Lee's book, Done a Feeling. And the food and like, and she wrote about like the heroine, like opening up her bookshop. And I'm like, yes, JC, you're ticking all, like to quote Paul Hollywood, you're ticking all the boxes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So I remember like, I, at one point I was like, these two just need to bang already. (laughs) I I love that in a romance book where I'm, I'm shouting at the characters to just do it already. (laughs) 
<laughs> just bang already. Exactly. Well, what is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? <laughs> that I don't understand why people swoon over the Phantom and Phantom of the Opera. He was creepy, stalkery, and a murderer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like the I mean he's he's literally like the theater kid that got stuck in the basement and is way too obsessed with the play he wrote. <laughs> exactly. And sex on the beach is not that sexy. There's just sand all over the place that could get into areas you don't want to get out. It's just no point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. don't salt like, water up your I nose. Don't care like, how... Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Those are my hills. I I love it. I love it. Great, great hills to die on. I'm, I'm there with you on them. <laughs> Thank you. Well, lastly, Lisa, where can everyone follow you online? I am LaFaresta1 on Twitter and Instagram. That's usually where I'm most active and where you can find me. Um, I'm also at Lisa Lynn Author, I think, on Facebook and Lisa Lynn Books is my website, so that's where you can find me. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a real thank pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. I had fun, too. Well, you'll have to come back, and we can talk about uh, the Rachel experiment when uh, when that comes out. I'm happy to do so. And make sure Sarah comes back, so I need to talk about Sweet Valley High books with her and the babysitters. Uh, yes, club. I will. I will try and set that up. <laughs> I will, I'll make it happen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And I'm and thank you for the kind things you said about the book. I really appreciate it. Oh, of course. It. Thank you. Yes, it was a great book. And I'm so glad you're excited about the Rachel's about Rachel's book too. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, listeners, check the show notes. You can find all the places you can follow Lisa Lynn online. Thanks for listening and have a good night. <laughs>